Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. We're joined today by Imani, who's going to be teaching us all about oyster farming and aquaculture. So Imani, it is awesome to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Thank you for asking. I'm super excited to have you on today and to learn more about aquaculture. It's not something that I'm super familiar with or I'm familiar with it in my area, but it's going to be a little bit different everywhere. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is exactly that you do? Yeah, of course. Um, So just like you said, my name is Imani Black. I am an African-American oyster farmer uh, on the eastern shore of Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay. Um, I've been in the aquaculture industry for about five years now. Um, I went to Old Dominion University and graduated with a marine biology degree and um, have always wanted to be in restoration and conservation. So um, for me, it was a matter of just like finding out what I exactly wanted to do. And I kind of just like fell into the aquaculture industry. And so um, now because I'm really passionate about it, I'm really passionate about it's, you know, sustainability efforts that it has on our local and global coastal communities. I am now the founder and president of a nonprofit called Minorities in Aquaculture. So um, everything is, you know, just falling into place at this point. And I've had some really powerful conversations with some amazing um, women of color, um, just women in general, some, you know, really powerful environmental organizations that Um, are really on this movement of creating a very diverse environmental industry. And so I'm just like happy to be a part of the conversation and to be a part of, you know, just this whole movement in general. I wouldn't say you're part of it, more so leading part of this conversation with what you're doing, which is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. It's It's a lot bigger and a lot different than I originally thought it was going to be, you know, this was just a vision that I had back in January of this year. And, you know, we were all super shocked about the way that, you know, 2020 has kind of gone. Um, And so a lot of things have been happening. A lot of things have been changing. And so I don't, you know, sit very well. I don't do well with idle time. Um, I'm used to a very hectic schedule. So, um, you know, I've just had a lot of time to just kind of develop what I want to do in my career. And, Kind of where I want to go and it, it's just been a great time. That's amazing. So there's not a lot of like you don't hear about people being like hey I'm an oyster farmer pretty often. So how did like did you always know you wanted to do that? Where did that come from for you? Um, No I actually didn't. So I always knew that I wanted to do something in the environment. Um, Ever since I was little you know I grew up like I said, on the Eastern shore of Maryland. So, you know, we're really, it's a part of our culture to be on the water here and, um, you know, to go boating and swimming and fishing and crabbing and just everything like that. It's, it's a part of kind of our history over here in, you know, this coastal community. So, um, I kind of always knew I wanted to do something with that, but when I went to college, um, I, you know, I kind of got pushed into like the tropical biology type of realm and I went on a study abroad trip to Southwater Cape Belize, and I got a chance to really dive into the tropical biology research. Um, 
you know, waking up every morning and going morning snorkeling on patch reefs with my classmates and, you know, just really studying the land and, you know, really studying what kind of species were there. And, you know, then my individual project was sea urchin feeding patterns, which was something that I had never gotten the opportunity to do and I thought was so cool. Um, and so it just really ignited and something in me that kind of solidified that I really wanted to do something in the environment. Um, but then it also kind of pushed me into the direction that I'm in now because I realized that academia might not be something that I wanted to dive into right away. Um, maybe that the field and, you know, kind of being in the hustle and bustle of the, the working industry was more something that I wanted to go down. So luckily that same summer I had an internship with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation um, in Virginia with their oyster restoration team. And that's kind of where I was like, wow, I, I think this is really what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, I was with a, a group of really awesome women that were really intelligent and really empowering and really supportive. And, um, you know, I looked forward to going to work every day and, um, you know, my boss, you know, Jackie Shannon is probably like the most intelligent oyster specialist that I've, you know, <laughs> I've ever come across. And um, so just her guidance kind of really pushed me into what I'm doing now. And just that ex having that experience really, you know, helped me develop what I wanted to do. So, um, you know, she kind of knew that. And so she had mentioned that um, Virginia Institute of Marine Science had uh, an aquaculture training program um, during the summer. And so she just encouraged me to apply. And at the time I was in school and I was still playing lacrosse. So, you know, I went to the director, Stan Allen, and I just said, hey, um, this is my schedule. It's really hectic, but, you know, I'm willing to make it work. But if you think that I'm just going to miss too much, I don't want to take away from somebody else's opportunity. So I'll wait a year. And I was just really fortunate enough that they were willing to work with me. And that was kind of my start in the aquaculture industry and really getting to see how everything worked. So, um, yeah, I kind of fell into it. And then it, after that, everything kind of fell into place. And I started working at uh, oyster farms and oyster hatcheries uh, in Virginia and Maryland. And then for the last two years at the first privately owned hatchery in Maryland, just uh, pretty much running, you know, larval rearing operations and just helping with, you know, the every season in the aquaculture industry. So it was pretty awesome. That is super cool. And I love that you kind of fell into it because it's not, I feel like when people go into marine science, we all kind of go into it with the whole like, ooh, marine megafauna or even oceanography and those different kinds of studies. But I feel like aquaculture is something that gets almost slipped through the cracks when people are thinking about marine science because they, it's just not a common thing that's talked about often. So I think it's super cool and super important that you're doing this and communicating about it, using scientific communication to talk about it and share it so other people can learn. Yeah, no. And that's so funny that you, that you say that because when I went to the study abroad trip in Belize, uh, my professor was, you know, just like, if you're trying to be successful in this field, like, please, like everybody wants to do sharks. Everybody wants to do sea turtles. And yeah, those organisms are like really, you know, important. Um, but I guess his point was that there are other important parts of the environment that also need our help. So it's really, it's in, in your benefit to kind of broaden your horizon and do something that's kind of out of the box. And I feel like with aquaculture, I've definitely found 
kind of that niche because, you know, not a lot of people see female oyster farmers or, you know, and see minority oyster farmers. So I'm kind of in a, uh, you know, in a situation here where I'm, you know, in a uncharted waters and it, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to keep having that conversation and just kind of realize that I'm, you know, in this, like, you know, um, just undetermined, undeveloped space and just to kind of be in this realm is, is pretty cool. And I'm just super blessed to do it. I love that. So what does a typical day in your life as an oyster farmer or someone working in aquaculture look like? I'm sure it's not something like I'm not familiar with it. I know about uh, certain areas of it, but what does it look like for you? Yeah, so it's super early. Um, You know, we usually have to be at the hatchery uh, or at the farm um, or just, you know, anytime we're starting the day, usually around 7, 7.15 depending on the day, if it's really, really hot outside, maybe 6 a.m., you know, you're working with animals, so you want to spend as much time with them as you can. And while you're there, you want to maximize your time so that you're getting everything done that needs to get done and you're not, you know, prolonging the success of the larvae or the success of the animals. So Typically, my day is, you know, like I said, get in 7, 7.15, and then we'll have, like, a team meeting about all the things that need to get done and where we can help each other. It's a really team aspect type of job. Then after that, like, uh, for me personally, I was, you know, doing the larval rearing um, development. So every day I was taking um, temperature, salinity, um, you know, water quality, just different water qualities, growth. Uh, measurements and just things like that um, because that kind of gives us, those things kind of give us a window about where the the larvae are in that tank and kind of how they're progressing and if we need to change anything um, and so it's constantly my job is to basically just make the conditions as clean and as viable and as successful as it can be for the larvae so that they can have a long and healthy life so that they can, as many as they can, can make it to dinner plates. So, um, and then after that, like I said, it's just a team effort. So, you know, we're constantly, you know, either working on the farm or helping with algae or helping out in the nursery. So we're just helping each other out, trying to make the hatchery as successful as possible. That is super cool for so many reasons. Number one, I think it's so cool to talk about this because I feel like for a lot of people who are like obviously eating oysters, to them it's just kind of a you go to a restaurant and you order oysters, no big deal, without realizing this whole kind of thing that has to happen before they can even get to the restaurants and how even like you just think about oyster farms, like there's so much even behind that or before that that has to happen before you get your oysters, like growing them and it's just yeah. so cool. So no, I love talking absolutely. about it. And it's it's so funny because, you know, my friends are, are probably going to laugh when they hear this. Like, you know, I'll be at like parties and stuff like that. And people are like, oh, like, uh, so what are you doing, Ronnie? And I'm just like, you know, super excited when I hear that question, but also like, okay, wow, I'm really going to have to nerd out because not a lot of people, like you said, know what oyster farming is. So I can't give this vague answer without having to go and explain it. You know, and I want people to understand it. It's such an important industry that, you know, when I am talking about it with somebody, I want them to walk away from that conversation and just say, Oh my God, like I never knew this, but 
I'm really interested now. And, you know, that one fact stuck with me and now I'm going to research it and see how I can help out and see how I can be a part of it. So, um, yeah, I take, <laughs> I take every conversation about it like pretty seriously and I nerd out and then afterwards I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, okay, like I'll stop. I'll stop. So it's, uh, <laughs> no, um, you should be nerding out about this and talking so much about it. Cause it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a bad job. I, I can't, you know, complain. Um, I love what I do. So, and you know, I'm not afraid to show that that's something that's truly passionate and authentic to me is that I love, you know, I love the water and I love my coastal community. And, um, I think there's something beautiful about, you know, these small town, um, communities that really contribute to the overall health of the environment around them. For those of us that may not know, myself included, what does an oyster farm actually look like? Like how how are you growing these oysters? Because in my head, I'm half picturing just like a tank, but also picturing like an oyster in like a stall of a barn. Yeah, so it's okay. So the oyster farm is actually the last part of the three different steps of of the aquaculture industry. So there's the oyster hatchery, or you know the hatchery facility in general which is usually on land but along a coastline or shoreline and then usually attached to that or with that is the nursery which is the second part and then um after that it's the farm so the hatchery is basically where you know we are conditioning our brood stock you know our adult oysters to start the reproductive process then that's where we are rearing these larvae that's where we are housing the water that we're pulling from our natural environment and filtering it. That's where we're doing our uh, food production. So pretty much the hatchery is where everything kind of starts. When the larvae get to about 18 to 24 days old, then they are then moved to the nursery where they um, do something that is called setting, which is basically just they are making themselves individual oysters and they um, set on kind of like on a hard substrate, like they would a piling on these little tiny grains of sand called um, colch, which is just a fancy word for finely grained oyster shells. And then from there, they grow into what you see on your dinner plates. Um, and so every day, you know, we are washing them, we are, you know, grading them to make sure they're not competing with each other. Um, that, you know, the nursery is when they get their first real take of their natural environment and start to get that natural flavoring that, you know, is that oyster company or, you know, the people that are growing those oysters are really getting their characteristics in, in the oysters that they're selling. And then once they get to about an inch or so, that's when they go to the farm. And then that's when they're really out into the um, elements. So an oyster farm is just basically um, a plot of water lease that somebody, you know, pays for that they have oyster cages or, oyster bags or whatever type of substrate that they have, they accommodate their oyster gear to best grow um, adult sized oysters so that, you know, they can sell them to restaurants and, you know, um, families and growers and, you know, everything like that. So um, it just depends on kind of what your personal environment looks like and how you have to adapt to it. That is ridiculously cool and <laughs> not at all what I expected. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people, it doesn't sound, it sounds a lot more complicated than what it is. Like once <laughs> you talk about it and then you see it, you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, it's <laughs> like more complicated in the conversation. So 
But when you see it, it's like, oh, okay, that don't make totally makes sense, and everything starts to click. So really goes into it we'll definitely share some pictures uh, on the day that we release this one so everyone can kind of get a look at what we're talking about absolutely I love it I think oysters are such an underrated animal like it's easy bivalves in general it's kind of easy to forget that they're an actual animal but they're so cool when you actually start kind of like looking at them I love them yeah absolutely I mean they are a huge keystone species uh in our community especially for the chesapeake day um there has been a huge decline of our oyster population over the last like century and you know we're at right now um statistically at about one percent of the historical population um of the you know oyster population in the chesapeake bay and you know that's scary especially when you really read about how the oyster population was and you kind of start looking at the numbers of what, you know, these local watermen were catching going from, you know, 2 million bushels to 200,000 bushels when, you know, and that that's a really huge number to go to and it's a really huge decline. So um, it, it's just really important. And the bivalve community is, you know, they're directly implicated with our water quality, with our salinity with our you know our hard substrates with you know our little crabs and rockfish so they just do so much for our community and it's something that we really need to pay attention to because without them then you know we can start to really see a plummeting decline in the overall health of the Chesapeake Bay and other global communities like that. So where you're doing this is a really special area for these guys like the Chesapeake Bay in general is a super special area huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, it, they're a huge pillar of the overall health of the Chesapeake Bay. And it's just something historical in our watermen community that is a huge seller and that have really, you know, helped feed people's families. And they've been a part of our traditional seafood recipes and our, our, our seafood culture here. And so, you know, you never want something that is a staple in a lot of people's households to no longer be there, especially when, you know, all the memories and the good times and the holidays and stuff like that. Like I know just even personally with my own family history, um, I'm a a part of a 200 year old line of of watermen and, you know, it skipped a few generations until it got back to me, but it really came full, full circle. And once I started really learning about my own family legacy, then I started and then combining that with the seafood traditions that my family already does you know I really feel closer to what's going on around me because I have a direct connection to it and I know a lot of other people that do too so um, it's just time for us to really start doing something about it and really start to push the restoration and conservation of oysters and you know continuing in a positive direction. So is there a lot of things going on that are pushing and prompting this like restoration going on? Yeah. So there's four main things that are really affecting the oyster population and have been for a really long time. And, you know, that's overfishing, that's diseases, that's um, habitat destruction, and that's it's poor water water quality. And there are things that a lot of people are, are implementing and trying to put into motion to start doing. Um, but I think that the environment is just too important not to continuously push all of these things to continue to happen and to just like want to educate everybody about what's going on. I mean, knowledge is power. 
And if somebody doesn't know something, that's, you know, it's not their fault that they're not contributing to what's going on around them if they're not totally informed. So as someone who is saying that they're passionate about the environment, like, why not inform every single person that you come in contact with and just help them understand that, you know, whether they see the water every day or not, they are directly affected by it. Oh my goodness. Yes. This is one thing that I've talked about multiple times on the podcast that even if you live in a fully landlocked uh, province or state or area, country, whatever, you're still, the ocean still has this huge, huge impact on you. And it's really, it's playing a vital role in your life. Like you wouldn't be able to breathe without the ocean, even if it's thousands of miles away from you. Right. I mean, and we can't expect people that have never seen the water, that have never touched it, that have never had an experience with it that don't even know what, you know, these creatures are looking like that we're trying to really educate them about. If they don't have a direct connection with them, I don't blame them for not wanting to preserve it. I'm not, I don't blame them for not having some sort of connection to it. So I think if if we start exposing that and then start also talking about our perspectives on why we have our own personal connections to these coastal communities and then tying it back to what these people, what everybody in inner cities and things like that are seeing every day and tying in that environmental aspect. I think that we could get a lot more people that care about what's going on in our marine industries, to be honest. Absolutely. It's, and I love that people are doing things like you're doing where you're coming onto these and you're having your own uh, groups that you're talking about this the importance of this and you're educating people and it's so important and I love having people do that yeah absolutely we are water women and we're spending a lot of time in the water so it's important to try and find something that you can wear that makes you feel good about its production and how it makes you feel Finding one of these can be a little difficult. What's this swimsuit made out of? How is it sourced? Why doesn't it fit me right? And most importantly, why the heck can't I order different sizes for the top and the bottoms? This is why Water Women is so excited to be teaming up with Sisterly Swim to share with you their sustainable swimsuits that you can fit comfortably into. This is a family-owned business from sisters who are passionate about the environment and have developed these amazing swimsuits that come in six, yes, six different sizes. And if you don't feel comfortable in those six different sizes, they'll even do custom sizes for you. Yeah, custom sizes. How awesome is that? Each suit is made from fabrics that are 100% derived from fishing nets and carpet fluff that have reached the end of their usable life. Not only that, the packaging, postcards, and tags that you get are all made of 100% compostable materials. If I haven't convinced you yet, how about this exclusive deal only for Water Women listeners? You can get 15% off your entire order when you use the code WATERSISTER15. That's WATERSISTER, one word, one five, for 15% off your entire order at sisterlyswim.com. These are swimsuits that you can feel good about wearing and feel good in. So you have developed something called Minorities in Aquaculture. What is that and what made you want to start that? 
Yeah, so Minorities in Aquaculture is a nonprofit that I started officially in June of 2020. And it's basically just a nonprofit that aims to educate minority women on the restorative and conservation efforts that aquaculture, the aquaculture industry provides to our local and global communities. Um, basically with fully funded hands-on science programs um, and you know, so, you know, internships and mentorships, it's basically minorities in aquaculture is just an extension of my own career aspirations. You know, I am so fascinated by the different aspects of the aquaculture industry. I think as a whole, aquaculture is a focal point of our sustainable seafood industry. And as someone who's super passionate about it, I also too want to know what's going on locally and globally that is bringing this aquaculture industry forward. And so now with this nonprofit um, kind of attached to me in a way, I have already created a platform for myself with my own career. So, and then basically I am just then now turning to the next generation of minority women that look like me and say, just saying, Hey, like, I don't know if you know, but I've been pursuing this career and you know, if you really want to get into it, let me, you know, let me help you and let's talk about it and let's create a supportive network where I can use the connections that I've developed and had an opportunity to grow throughout my career and see if I can connect you with somebody who would be willing to help you if you wanted to, you know, succeed in aquaculture and be a part of kind of this movement. I love that. That's so amazing. So you're kind of acting as like a big sister or kind of as that figure that you wanted to have to look up to when you were younger or would have been nice to have to look up to when you were younger. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there it's the power of role models, you know. I don't think a lot of people truly understand what it's like um, to to not to realize that you haven't seen somebody that looks like you in a leadership role that you know you've either had to answer to or that you have to work with you know I think that was the the reason why the primary reason why I started minorities in aquaculture I was you know thinking about this in the beginning of the year of 2020 and I just started asking myself of like um how have I not seen other minorities in in my space and you know, especially with everything going on in this country with like the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was just raising these questions in everybody's mind and everyone's spaces of having to having them look internally and just saying, well, is my own space diverse? Like, am I welcoming in my own space? And so I just had the time to really sit down and think about, you know, what was going on in a career that I loved and was it very welcoming to me? And yeah, just like you said, it was it's kind of uh, a network that I've always wanted and I've always aspired to, to be a part of. And so I just figured, you know, why not? You know, why not do it? And what's really holding me back from trying to get more people into it? I, I'm saying that it's really important to me and I know that it's a really important industry. So, you know, why not when I have the time and I have the resources to do it? So it, it's just been honestly more, it, it's just been welcomed way more than I thought that it was going to be. And I've, I'm just super appreciative of that. I love that. I absolutely love it. And I think this whole movement has been such an important thing. And sometimes I feel as though I can't speak on it because I'm not part of this community. Um, and I've spoken before about growing up in as a woman in STEM and not having these role models to look at. So to even then go further and 
look at the diversity issue is absolutely amazing that there's so much movement going on right now to correct that. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of people um, that when I was started to really be in the early stages of minorities, minorities in aquaculture that I was really inspired by. I mean, I was having some really powerful conversations with African-American women in my in my own space and in this, you know, in, in different environmental aspects. And they were in a part of really big environmental organizations. And they kind of were the advocates for this diversity and inclusion kind of movement within their companies. And just getting their, their perspective on it and just realizing that we had a lot more in common than, you know, we originally thought. And, you know, it was really empowering to kind of make a allegiance to each other and saying like, hey, if you whenever you need me, like, I'll be there to support you. Like, if you need me to promote this, I totally got you. And um, just, you know, you can do so much with a powerful and positive environment around you. And I, I just learned that over the last, you know, six months that when you're a part of uh, a community and a network, that supports you a thousand percent, you can do so much more than you ever thought that, you know, you were capable of. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. And I love that there's so many outlooks of that now or so many different communities trying to get that for everyone. And I think it's important um, that these people of privilege, like you said earlier, look internally and be like, Hey, what can I do? What have I been doing? What, is my role in this. And it's not just uh, a fight against us. It's a fight together kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I really struggled with, you know, again, when I was in the early stages, uh, stages of minorities in aquaculture of just, you know, because first I am an African-American, but then again, I'm a woman. And when you're in a male dominated field, you know, being a woman in general is a minority. And so it, I kind of had this like tug of war of like, well, who do I like fully step out as, you know what I mean? I, I've had women that are not women of color that have really supported me and that have really inspired me. And then I really had to think about, well, why was that? You know, why, you know, I was discouraged from being in an environmental space when I was in college. So I can only imagine how many other minorities have, have been discouraged and, you know, I just, I got encouraged to write an op-ed and I just looked at, you know, the statistic that I saw um, and it said, you know, around 40, you know, about 46% of students that had dropped out of a STEM major within the first two years were African-American and 30, wow. you know, and 30, about 30 something percent, 30, I think about 32% of those students were Latinx. And then I just started like really breaking down that number and was like, wow, that's like 4,000 people. And like how many ideas and innovations and like advocates we could have had if we had just encouraged those people to stay in the space. And when they really looked at that statistic, it wasn't that they had the lack of ability to be competitive in an environmental field. You know, those people were dropping out of a STEM major and then going to like accounting and business and economics and, and things like that. And, you know, so they had the ability to do it. You know, there was just a, something else that w really was discouraging them from pursuing a marine science field. And so I just want to kind of combat that conversation that we're having with minorities and saying like, no, nope, there's a space for us, us here. And here, let me show you how to maybe this is an avenue that you could take 
that I experienced that you could maybe take too if you really want to do this. And if I can't help you, hopefully I know somebody that can. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you're creating that space and that community because that's what it's going to end up being. It's this huge community. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I hope that it's going to be. And, you know, there's um, a nonprofit called Minorities in Shark Science that's just blown up. Oh, my God. Like, yes, Carly. Carly was actually one of – she's been on this podcast before, Carly, and the other two. They're amazing. I love what they do. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, you know, I saw them on – just this random shark article about women in male dominated fields. And I, you know, just researched them from there and just what they've done in the short amount of time since June, when they launched, I mean, it's just beautiful. They have like over a hundred plus members and counting. Like, so it's just, when you see things like that and you see people really starting to look at their perspective lanes of this environmental issues, then you just start looking at your own. And that's just really what I've wanted to do is just look at my own and just, kind of follow suit and just, you know, really fall in line with, with what the movement is trying to do right now. I love that. What has been kind of your favorite projects that you've worked on with um, minorities in aquaculture and like, what have you been doing to kind of spread the word? Yeah. So I just launched um, at the beginning of this month. Um, You know, I was official, you know, official 501c3 um, back in July um, but I just officially launched in October and got my website, you know, all together and and everything like that. And but in the meantime, I really had the opportunity to have conversations with um, really powerful environmental organizations, just pretty much talking about what would hands on science programs kind of look like in this aquaculture space and how can we create curriculums where you know they're going to be long lasting and sustainable so that we can slowly start integrating minority women into kind of pursuing this career. Um and so yeah, I've just been so fortunate enough to be a part of conversations that I've just gotten to put my input in and so now it's just basically helping people understand kind of from my community's point of view, you know, I'm I'm only one voice, but I hope that I can be a closer advocate than you know, a part of, you know, as I'm a part of that community and just saying like, hey, so, you know, somebody that's like we were talking about before, somebody in the inner city is nine times out of 10, probably not going to care about oyster diseases right now, especially if they've never seen an oyster. If they've never seen water, you know, how do you expect them to care about something about that like that? So I just kind of had raised the question of like, why don't we start with something with connecting the environment to every everyday things like when you turn on the sink like that is just it might seem like an easy thing but that water is coming from somewhere that's being treated at a plant that's you know being pulled from somewhere and so once you start learning about everyday things then your interest for the environment and how you can be a part of it and how it fully affects you then becomes on your radar and then that's when you can start implicating and then just start connecting the dot and building the bridge of saying, okay, like you're being affected by what's going on in your coastal communities, even though you can't see them. So then let's look at the organiza- the organisms and the species and the humans that are being affected that actually live on it and see what those comparisons are. And then once we start that spark, then I think we can really start moving and have really impactful programs that can really start changing the way that people think about their environment and how to restore it. 
Absolutely. I've said before how kind of some of us, some of these women in STEM or um, different cultures and races in STEMs have kind of done this almost out of spite, out of people telling us that we like can't do it. And I think it's time to kind of switch that narrative to kind of get it to be like, hey, we're doing this because we know we can do this and because we've seen other people do this and because we have this awesome opportunity and we were inspired by someone to care about this. And I think what you're doing with reaching out to these kids and to these people who live in places where this education isn't necessarily accessible is, I cannot tell you how amazing I think it is. I think it is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much. I mean... Like I said, it, this is just developed and blown up into something that I I didn't even imagine that it would. And, you know, I'm just going along with the ride and just trying to, you know, hold on tight and just trying to, you know, just trying to get everything done and just be super grateful that I'm having the opportunity to not only further my career, but also like kind of start this conversation and be a part of these conversations because, you know, they're just awesome. And I've gotten to meet some really cool people and start to develop some really cool partnerships. So I'm just excited for the future and and how it's going to develop. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. I love it. So if people want to follow along with minorities in aquaculture and you yourself as a person, is there anywhere online that we can do it? Yeah. So my beautiful website, um, it was, it's a beautiful collaboration between me and a a local artist. Um, Her name is Kate Livy. She is, an Eastern Shore guru, historian, writer, everything. Um, in our web, the website is MIA NPO. So just basically Minorities in Aquaculture, a nonprofit, just a you know abbreviation of that. Dot org, and then um, it's just MIA underscore NPO on social media. And then, like I said, my name is Imani Black. So I am on all social media. So yeah, you can just follow the journey um, on social media, on our website. Um, I'm trying to get more content out. So we're just in the beginning. So this is a really good time to hop onto the journey and just see how we start to develop, you know, as the months and the years go on. Yes, jump on now. And then you can say when this whole thing blows up. And it's absolutely huge. You can be like, oh, I was one of the first people who joined this. Like I was, I was one of the first. Absolutely. I mean, I hope we, you know, get to that point eventually. And I just hope we get more followers. I just hope this conversation uh, just continues to grow. That's just, you know, my biggest wish for everything that I'm doing right now. So absolutely. It's an important conversation. And I'm so excited that someone like you is leading it. Someone's so passionate about it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just so happy that now we're starting to see this platform. It's kind of like, you know, this podcast of where women are starting to have these conversations with other women about kind of like where, what they're doing in their space. And, you know, I'm just so empowered by the women that are in my life. You know, my friends, they kind of make me really step up to the plate with what they're doing in their respective fields. And so the more powerful women that I meet in the environmental field, I just feel the same way. And so, you know, all especially all the people that you've had on your podcast, like, oh my gosh, like when I'm listening, I'm just like, wow, that sounds so cool. <laughs> it is really cool. Like even things that you're like, okay, maybe that like, I hope people look at this, not that I hope, but like, I'm sure some people are going to look at this and be like, oyster farming, like, okay, what? And then they actually get into the episode and you're like, wait, this is so cool. And you learn so many new things and learn about each individual girl and learn about different conversations that need to be happening right now so I think it's it's always great to kind of get all these different perspectives and I love doing it yeah it's 
It's nice. I mean, if you say that you love the environment, like I was saying before, then you should try to be encouraging and educating everybody around you, um, you know, from all different backgrounds and races to to care about it. And, you know, I just think that all of our industries within the environmental marine science umbrella, the STEM umbrella are so important that we need we and we are such in a crisis mode, you know, what do they say, like seven years that we have like, you know, on this planet that are viable. Like if that, if that number didn't scare you, like it did me, then, you know, you should really evaluate your love for the environment. Like I just figured, you know, I just looked at that and said, wow, we don't really have that much time. So now it's kind of like we're in crunch mode and we just need to get as many people as we can to really start caring about this. So maybe we can really turn this around. Like the fight isn't over yet. So we just need everybody to jump on the train and really, you know, start really pushing us in the direction of making huge changes like in in this industry and in these fields oh my goodness yes it's kind of it's a great it's obviously a little too late but like the best time is now kind of thing to jump on this whole like hey we have to do better kind of train and it's an awesome time to be jumping on that train right absolutely absolutely i love it now my favorite question to ask people is do you have any like standout moments from your career thus far? Like what is one moment that you can think back on and be like defining moment almost? Wow. Um, it's a big question. It's a huge question. It's, it's so great though. Um, I would have to say right now, honestly, it's probably a, a, this is a really pivotal time in my career. You know, my career in the last year has really taken a huge, you know, a big 180, and I'm in a completely different direction that I even thought I was going to be in so many, you know, unbelievable doors have just started to open recently that I'm just so in shock of that. I'm, that I have the opportunity to do stuff like that. And um, just the conversations that I'm having have just really empowered me and just really inspired me to do so much more. So I think that my, the answer to that question would be right now, because I'm just so excited to continue on this path and just to see what else is out there and how else I can, you know, talk to as many people I can and really see where my noise and aquaculture is going to be in the future. I love that. That's amazing. That makes me so happy. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm just so happy. I'm, I'm so happy to have the, a platform like this, to have an opportunity like this. This is my first podcast. So I was so, <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, you've been absolutely amazing. And I was so excited to have you on when I was reading your thing, like reading what you do. I was like, I have to email her absolutely immediately. <laughs> I know. I was happy to hear from you. And I just, you know, I took a kind of took a shot at it and just like, hey, this is super out of my comfort zone, super out of my realm. And so why not? Why not do it? You know, just really step outside of myself and step outside of my box. And, you know, this conversation has just been great. And, you know, I've just really have just been inspired by talking to you and just inspired Yay. by nerding out with you about, you know, cool environmental things. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It was absolutely awesome to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. And for everyone listening, make sure to go follow on all those social medias and follow along with Minorities in Aquaculture because it's about to be big. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, merchandise is coming out. So crew necks, long sleeves, uh, hats, everything like that. So 
go follow us on social media and just keep a lookout because I've got some really cool things that are about to, you know, surface that I can't wait to launch. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe to it. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. You can also find more behind the scenes info on our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca. I am so happy to keep sharing these stories of different water women each week with you. And until next week, stay salty.